Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald and Company. So this evening, once more, I am on my globe-trotting travels, looking to test our theory of accelerating careers in new markets. Today, I'm talking to Uber Hellendahl, based in Düsseldorf, and he's one of the co-founders of Colcap independent investment boutique and a pioneer in sustainable real estate investments. Now, Colcap took over the real estate activities of the Duxton Group in Germany in 2019. So, Uber, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. So, let's get us started. How does Chapter 1 begin? I think Chapter chapter 1 begins in Australia in uh, 1992, uh, where I went as an exchange student. And I don't think I'd be where I am today without that really early experience um, because I was really thrown into an environment that I had no idea about at the time and I had to learn to adjust to the unknown and um, also uh, developing um, or being made to develop a sense of excellence in study. So that is really something that, that accelerated my sense of achievement and my sense of career at the time. Did you go on your own out of curiosity? You said it was an exchange or would you go with with family? No, I uh, completely went on my own. It was Alliance Exchange at the time and um, was uh, thrown into a private school in Melbourne and then learned um, what it's like uh, to be kind of geared to achievement. Did you know what you wanted to get out of it or was it just a bit of, bit of sun? No, I wanted, to, I wanted to get out. I wanted to, to have something happening. Uh, I was a bit bored at the time and... Um, I just went to my parents and uh, brought about the idea, let's go to Australia, it's interesting, um, it's far away, it's unknown, it's not as uh, the beaten path as it is uh, for the United States, so let me, let me try. And that's um, when, how, how it came about, really. Interesting. I mean, that, that sounds like someone who's, who's quite sort of wise before their years as well. So let's, let's see, how does that apply then to, to these early chapters of your career? Early chapters in the sense of that uh, after after returning from Australia, um, my father at the time forced me to sit for the German Abitur, the high school certificate, which annoyed the heck out of me at the time. <laughs> and uh, after that, um, I went uh, into a bank training that was probably a significant slowing of my career that at least showed me something that I didn't want to do in the future. Went into law school afterwards, and briefly worked for a law firm after graduating and then discovering that's not really what I want to do for the future because um, I would really like to take the decisions. I would like to define strategy and not advise someone else who would, would then take the decisions. And that was really my, my point where I decided uh, I would like to go into business. How old were you at this, this point? Uh, at that point, I was 20... Eight twenty-seven. Yeah. Okay. So, by the sound of things, a significant amount of time then sort of spent within academia, studying. Yeah. Prior to prior to academia, I also worked um, at uh, a private bank in, in Germany doing institutional equity sales. So that was prior to my study. So at the end of the day, I had uh, slightly more than four years um, in my in my studies. The reason I, the reason I pause then to, to think about it is that. Was there, was there part of you that thought, well, I've done this now. I, n- I, need, I need to knuckle down and focus on banking or law? Or did you not think like that? 
law challenged me academically. So um, law is something um, that, that teaches you to, to structure things and it teaches your thinking. And um, it was more the exercise of it and the intellectual challenge than um, just learning off um, legal text by heart or uh, looking into the commentaries. I'm not sure that answers my question. I, I, I think I'm getting at you'd spent time and and money at this at this point on mm. uh, on your your studies. How did you make that decision to to depart and go f- and and put that into practice into business rather than just staying the course? Mm, okay, for me. It was clear that I, I would need to get a very good degree at the time because that would give me um, the basis of my, my further decisions. But I had really found out that it was not going to be the legal profession in itself that I wanted to pursue at the time. Does okay. that answer your question, or did yeah, I? Yeah, I, I think what I'm what I'm getting at now is the age. You know, you're 28. You've started. You've started your your career. At most times, someone aged sort of twenty-eight now feels like it should start to get a bit easier, because you know you've learned the ropes, you've learned the basics, you know how to navigate certain circumstances, and you can yeah. you can now you can now start to to once more probably accelerate. But you've made the decision then to depart the the comfort and security mm. of that of that market because it by the sounds it just didn't excite you very much. I'm I'm curious as to how you weighed up that risk versus reward, mm-hmm. or whether it even occurred to you there was a risk and a reward there at all. You just followed your heart. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. It would have been easier but um, to, to just say, okay, I will, I will join a law firm and then proceed with a legal, a legal profession. But um, I think happiness in a career, happiness in a profession, constant challenge in a profession is something that is extremely close to my heart. So I exactly knew that excitement wouldn't persist for a very long time. And usually I would always choose challenge over, let's say, um, security. That, that, that is part of my character. Well, I'm, I'm, I will look forward to hearing it as to whether that remains part of your, your character <laughs> in your life from, uh, from the heady days of being sort of 28. Um, okay, well, let's, well, let's go on. How did, how did the, those first few years within business, how did they go? Interesting. <laughs> because when I, when, I left, when I left the law course, I felt I didn't really have the toolbox for, for business. I didn't have uh, the toolbox for analytics. So what occurred to me is best thing, I would, I would join an MBA course, um, which I got admitted to in Berlin at a good school at the time. But I was wavering because I felt uh, going from one course to another course in, in academia might also not be the solution to everything that I was hoping for at the time. And then a coincidence happened because um, a friend of mine called me. He said, I'm, I'm sitting in a cafe. I'm looking at uh, job advertisements in the Frankfurt Allgemeine newspaper. And there is actually an ad that reads like your CV and you might wish to apply. And uh, that's what I did. It was an, it was an advertisement by a law firm uh, on behalf of a client who was looking for an executive assistant strategy. So why not? They were looking for a lawyer that had experience in, in corporate law and also some insights into finance before. So that, that worked out, who was having some, some English skills that also worked out. So I applied. I, I had one of the most interesting interviews that I've ever had that started off by being admitted to a waiting area. And then I saw a candidate storming out of the room being being. Uh, 
pale as as uh, I don't know what, and um, being being sweaty, and uh, he left he left the building, and I said that that takes off very nicely. So um, I went in, and um, I met uh, one of the most um, impressive, uh, but also complex personalities I've ever met. My future boss, a German uh, hedge fund billionaire. Uh, at the time, at, I think at the age of 66, who had made billions setting up Germany's first quant shop, Germany's first hedge fund, advising uh, central banks and major institutions quantitatively on their, on their um, financial positions. And um, he had decided um, retirement is not for me. I would like to revive my career. I want to reprise on my success and I need people for it. And uh, that's where I was hired. And that's also where I met my today's partner with whom I've basically worked for 18 years now, who was hired for the same position. So our boss at the time said that I hire two people and in the end I choose the best one. <laughs> and um, so initially we, we sniffed each other out and said, okay, what, what's this guy all about? And, um, uh, but after one year, uh, my partner, Klaus Tilner, was, was managing the family office and I was um, COO of uh, my boss's uh, foundation and uh, managed the operational business in Switzerland. So that was interesting. That was when my career, as you would put it, accelerated significantly, but accelerated uh, like, like skyrocketed because um, the pace was unbelievable. We were traveling around the world, meeting important people in business, in the investment banks, in politics, in order to find the best way for our boss to re-engage in business. And at the end of the day, after one and a half years of negotiations, finding, talking, it was the Bank of New York Mellon that became his, uh, his joint venture partner. Now, I think when everyone, anyone sort of talks about sort of billionaires, there is this real sort of mystique, isn't there, about, about people within this very exclusive club. And they've got to be a bit quirky in order to have been so successful. What would you say is the best lesson you've learned then from that individual? The best lesson I've learned is persistence. He is, I'm not doing him injustice to say he's a complex character and um He's certainly someone who does not fit any corporate environment. So it's a matter of um, guiding him um, to a certain extent as he permits to be permitted to be guided. But for, for me, the, the, the impressive thing was that the, the level of excellence, the level of um, caliber of people that we met and uh, the caliber of the business that we negotiated at that point in time was um, beyond anything that I had seen before and probably also after. So the energy uh, that drove him, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, um, is something that I consider to be totally admirable. And there he was a role model. So Uber, there's something in the back of my mind as you've been sort of telling, telling this story, and I can't get over the fact that in some ways, how old you, you are at this at this stage? You're obviously late twenties. Um, Klaus, uh, I think you said before we were recording, is a similar age to yourself, so he's also in his in his thirties. And you're working now for a sixty six year old multi billionaire who's on his second career. Yes, you, you described it yourself in sort of return, returning back. So, someone with this incredible experience, married up to two of you who've who've who are in the very early stages of their, their professional career. 
I'm curious how that dynamic worked. It for sure was an interesting dynamic because our boss at the time was, as I said, a, a, a very dynamic, a very difficult character. He saw two people that could bring some speed, could bring some dynamic um, to his second start. So he liked the intellectual exercise. He liked the ideas, but he also wanted to hear honest opinions and um, honest contributions to, to his plans. But by the same token, he always thought he was right. So um, whenever uh, we, we expressed our doubts, whenever we expressed conflicting opinions, he didn't like it. So um, there was a constant air of conflict, of regular conflict also in the air, where uh, things could also become a bit loud at times. And on a regular basis, he asked himself, do I need this? But by the same token, the, the, the caliber of the tasks and also the quality of the person, the, the, the speed of the development then was so tempting for us to really cling on to it. It must have been fascinating. And I, de I definitely get the impression you're holding back on us a little bit, but I won't, I won't twist your arm anymore. Thank you. Um, um, <laughs> um, uh, tell us more. How, uh, how, did, the, um, uh, how did the years, uh, years go by and how did, how did this develop? We found a joint venture partner, as I said, in, in BNY Mellon. And uh, BNY Mellon was uh, then our employer. Um, we spent a lot of time in the US. We spent a lot of time traveling the world. Again, advising central banks within the joint venture on, on strategic asset allocation. But it was an extremely corporate exercise. And um, you just have to imagine when you come out of a high power, high drive, super accelerating environment like that with our previous boss into the regulated, into the steady environment of corporate politics, um, corporate improvement, you feel that let's say your heart slows down a bit and um, you're maybe not as challenged anymore as you used to be, because that was definitely still a career running at a, at a high level, but certainly by far not as dynamic. So we became a bit bored after a while. Make no mistake, BNY Mellon is a, is a brilliant employer. It's a fantastic company to work for, but you also have to view this on the background of what we experienced before. I agree, and and this and this sort of uh, slots in very very nicely to you know what I keep banging on about about these accelerating careers, these um, these three recurring events whereby you go through acceleration, that that pace inevitably uh, slows and wanes, and you're in this next period of consolidation. And to most people, it's when they feel very comfortable. This is when they're getting the most plaudits. They're getting pat on the back because they're doing a good job. They feel comfortable in in, in navigating the day to day. Yet typically, and it sounds like you're, you're exactly this type of person, to the people who I get to interview, they feel frustrated, they feel bored, they miss that pace, they miss that daily sort of challenge as, uh, as well. So exactly like you said, many people within the same organisation will feel very, very comfortable, very, very, very confident. Others, not, not so much. Um, but how did that manifest then for, for you? What, what do you think you wanted to do next? Well... Klaus felt the same way, and that also might explain why we're still working together as partners to this day. And another colleague felt the same way, and we said, why don't we use our ton of contacts um, and uh, establish our own small investment banking boutique? So uh, we said, let's, let's dare it, let's, let's do it. So we left our jobs and started working on a small banking license in, in Germany, which uh, we did for about a year. 
that's um, that's a lot of work. It's pretty tedious to 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 get that and to get to the point where you get the license. And then we had a smashing success. We exactly got that banking license one week after Lehman went down. So the world was waiting for us. Hmm. So that that is uh, to stay in your terminology, not only a slowing down of a career, that is a grounding of a career. <laughs> So we, we said to ourselves, okay, we, we might as well turn the lock now and uh, look uh, for a job, which um, also were not exactly in, in readily available at that point in time, um, the world being under, under shock. And uh, we decided, let's, let's look for a spot. Let's look for a niche that, that might work. Let's try to reinvent ourselves. The answer for us at the time was that we saw an asymmetric situation in the sense of an underfinanced German Mittelstand, so the classic German um, technology companies in the south of Germany that tend to be the champion in their very little niche of operation. And on the, on the other hand, um, some of our clients in the Middle East who were not as affected, who were still sitting on dry powder and were looking for up, uh, attractive opportunities to deploy at the time. So. What we did was we did corporate finance and a bit of MBA for about two, three years. And then had to discover we are not, we're not making it in the long term because uh, we, we can survive, we can, we can keep operating, but financial regulation is tightening significantly. And um, we didn't want to spend two and a half to three months per year doing regulatory audits, uh, adjusting processes, doing uh, process revisions, uh, but we actually wanted to do operating business. We wanted to define strategies. We wanted to take decisions on where to go next. So what we did was we, we decided um, to, to sell, um, to go under the umbrella of Duxton Asset Management, who was a client of our company at the time. They wanted regulated entities in, in Europe. And uh, Klaus and myself um, then joined the Duxton Group as co-CEOs of their European companies. Did, how did that, that feel? To someone who's, who had experienced such success at a very early age, you faced the, the setback of the GFC and your banking license and, and layman's. How did it feel personally when you, know, when you had to come to the decision that, that it that the growth or the scale of that, that business wasn't what you or the, the rest of your, your founders wanted? It's frustrating, of course, uh, because it's your baby and uh, any, any founder, any entrepreneur will tell you that um, parting uh, from your baby is, is one of the hardest things you can do. But um, what made it easier at the time was that um, we had an, an excellent personal relationship to um, the majority owner of, of Duxton. At Peter, who um, came out of Deutsche Bank, um, he granted us and he also promised and always kept that promise that we would keep um, a very degree, a large degree of autonomy in, in running the European business. And he is a he's a deeply, deeply entrenched entrepreneur himself, and he fully understood where we were coming from. And that was um, a very lucky circumstance. Because at, at all stages, during the seven years that we, we worked for Duxton, we had that opportunity to rearrange focus, to take strategic decisions and to run the European companies fairly independently, of course, provided that we deliver the results. And luckily, we were able to do that. 
And uh, so from that perspective, um, he made it extremely easy for us under the circumstances also to do that sale. So you could say that's good luck, couldn't you, in terms of fi us finding a partner like that. But I, when I was doing the research before our recording, I asked a couple of different people who knew you quite well, and I asked them about how they would describe you and how they would describe your personal traits. And I think there's something here um, that that one of that one of those those members said that I think might well give us a clue as to why you get lucky. And this is how they described you. They said that Uber is a fantastic entrepreneur, but what he is best at is building relationships at all levels across all different industries. And I thought that's I I spent a bit of time sort of thinking about about that. You know, one, it's a nice thing to hear, right? But more importantly, I think you think about the stereotypical sort of entrepreneur. I think is very bullish. You know, they they don't like listening to to no. The the reason they are uh, successful is because they've ignored the status quo and ploughed on non, nonetheless. But this suggests to someone then who is a slightly different makeup, someone who who is 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 quite an empathetic person, someone who. Is obviously finds it very, very easy to build these strong connections. And that clearly has the benefit of, of being able then to tap into people like Peter who allow you to get on with what you want to be doing. Would you agree with that? I think it's essential to, to be curious. And um, I'm, I'm an exceedingly curious person. When I, when I meet people, I just want to know their story. I want to know what it's all about. And I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated by... Um, effectively the lifelines of people and that that i think is something that uh, that that helps me building relationships and um, also try to 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 listen as much as possible as possible in order to learn as much as possible and that makes it easy for me also to to identify people with whom i can see a certain connection either being that personal or being that uh, on a business level and uh, meeting at peter at the time um was, it was clear for me that he would be someone who would not bulldoze us, who would not intervene with business if it wasn't required. And that, that at the time, uh, I think, was, was uh, the decisive um, uh, thing. But uh, yes, I would agree that for, for anyone, it is uh, important um, to mingle, to meet people, to be curious, um, because that's really how you learn and also how you develop your personal ideas, how to advance your career or your, your enterprise. Out of curiosity, has it ever held you back? Has that empathetic person who's built that relationship, has that ever got in the way of, of your own growth or of your own business success? I suppose what I'm comparing this to is, again, that stereotype of the entrepreneur who doesn't care about other people's feelings and they will win at all costs. Maybe it has kept me back at certain instances to say, no, I will, I will part from certain positions or I will just pursue a certain avenue kind of kicking left, right and center. But uh, I've never felt it detrimental that you remain a decent person and you remain fair also to the people you're, trying, you're, you're dealing with. Well, let's get back on track then. So we're at the early stages now of Daxton, if I pronounce that right. Um, mm -hmm. Are, the, are the, the, the three amigos still together? 
<laughs> you know, the three amigos are not still together. We 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 we, we lost one. Uh, so Klaus and myself are. Um, oh, I've just painted this picture of you being uh, a lovely guy, Uber, and you've you've already you've ejected one of the amigos. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, one of one of the amigos decided Dachshund's <laughs> not for me. So um, that is that is that is fair enough. And um, so so Klaus and I move on to Dachshund, and uh, the other amigo moves on. Um, to a function similar to uh, the previous function in, in Luxembourg. And um, we, uh, so we, we, we were, it was up to us to develop Daxton's business in, in Europe. Um, Daxton is a classic private equity firm. They do private equity in Southeast Asia, a lot of private equity in Australia, and also um, industry-centered private equity in agriculture uh, on a global basis. Um, they're, they're actually one of the dominant players. They used to be part of Deutsche. They also brought some Deutsche culture with them. But by the same token, they used to be the complex assets group. So you had top quality people. And um, we, uh, we, we, we did that business development for quite some time. That worked very successful in Europe. But three and a half, four years down the line, some of our foreign clients came about and said, uh, guys, um, we trust you. Um, you've kept your promises. Uh, we'd like to do something in German real estate. We said, okay, real estate. Okay, that's that's new to us. And um, so, what it's about? What, what do you what do you need? And they said, the deals that leave Germany, that well, for that matter, that leave Berlin, that leave Düsseldorf, that leave Cologne, cross the border and then end up on a desk in. Let's say Seoul might not be uh, the most ideal deals because someone in Germany didn't pick them up, and that's a pretty compelling argument. So we said, okay, if we if we find something, we'll let you know. Um, then we heard it again, we heard it again, we heard it five times, and then said, okay, let's see. We can we can calculate that. We can model real estate investments. We don't have a network whatsoever. If we can establish a network within say a limited period of time and if, it, if we find some traction we we might do it we did that we talked to let's say the 50 uh, relevant people in real estate all over germany and then decided let's move we found our first transaction transacted happy client then came the second transaction and um, the real estate business within daxton at the time grew exponentially it grew actually much more than the classic than the core private equity business of the group. And um, you can see the, the tension building up in that, in that, uh, in that constellation, because uh, clearly what we had been hired for at the time was to be building the business and to be advancing the core private equity business of Daxton, whilst the, the team found a lot of appetite in German real estate. So it came as it had to be. We had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation, Daxton, gravitated more and more also from the Singapore hub into Australia. We gravitated into real estate and uh, decided on an, on an amicable departure, the sort of an MBO-like uh, structure, and uh, left the group and founded Callcap. That was 19. How easy a decision was that for you? It wasn't that difficult because um, going back into entrepreneurship was something that we had been looking for uh, for quite some time. Seeing the opportunity, clearly also um, fired up by a very, very dynamic real estate market at the time, um, presented itself. And uh, we decided this is what we want to do. And uh, we also talked to the team. The team agreed, um, came with us. And um, 
from that perspective, it is something that, that massively excited us, being our own bosses and being co-founders, being owners of that company again and uh, developing that business. So if you want to put it uh, very blatantly, a dream came true again. I, I, so this is, this is the bit I find fascinating about interviewing people like yourself, Uber, is because you describe that as a dream, don't you? Yes. Other people would think this is a nightmare. Safety, <laughs> security, you know, knowledge of their market, you've got the backing of a major player, dominating sort of what you're doing because clearly these people sort of trust you. Yet you and Klaus once more chose to, to leave that security for, for what? what? What did the two of you get out of this out of curiosity? It's being our own bosses, being decision makers, um, shaping the future of the company, shaping the team, shaping the relationships with our clients um, as we consider it optimal. That was really, that was really the, the driver behind it. It is perfectly fair for people to say, we'd like to have a big backer or we'd like to pursue also an institutional career in finance or in real estate for that matter. That is nothing I would ever judge in a negative way because either you have that entrepreneurship gene in you or you don't. And that's not a good or not a bad, that's just a fact. And um, if you dream about being an entrepreneur, it is deeply satisfying doing it. But what you have to have is the ability to also live with kind of hovering decision-making. You have to live with insecurity. You have to live with risks where it is your job to mitigate them. But insecurity is something as an entrepreneur you have to, you have to face. And either you can do that, you can still sleep at night, or you can't. And I think that is really where, where your decision is based on. So we're now 2019. We're at the genesis of Colcap. You and Klaus once, once more working hand in hand. I asked uh, some people to help me out understand sort of the, the milestone this, this was. And this is how, how someone described you at this, this time. And they said, Uber is interested in so many different areas law, there's banking, there's PE, there's currency, and now there's real estate. And it's quite late within his career in order to, to be actually topping up within sort of a, a new interest. But that makes it all the more astounding the success that Colcap has had, given its relatively uh, new position in the market. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. But uh, for, for our listeners, I mean, the good news is you can still start a career in real estate at 42. Uh, uh, yes. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I mean, this one of my favourite entrepreneurship sort of quotes is sort of the um, uh, is KFC was founded, wasn't it, by its founder who's aged sixty nine. So there is there, well, is there you ne- go. Never too late, right? Indeed, never too late. And um, I think you, you have to keep that that open mind, um, also to 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 reinvent yourself. So but you, have uh, to, you have to see it, and, and this is I'm, I'm getting uh, sort of um, mm. animated now because I'm so passionate about this because I find this the most interesting part of any of my interviews. Uh, the people who who describe entrepreneurship and the people who, who who go out and start something on their own or go and start something completely different, you see opportunities or you evaluate opportunities mm-hmm. differently to the rest of us. You must do because. So many of us would be put off by this for obvious reasons, yet you describe these as dreams, as something you had to do. 
given the people you've worked with or worked for in the, in in the past, do you do you see that? Do you recognise that you see opportunities that others allow them to pass them by? One hundred percent. So furious agreement. Um, when you when you think about um, the two people that, that that I've mentioned, so my my billionaire boss at the time. Who is who, who? No one else could have done what he had done because he was he was seeing opportunities all of the time, and he was usually right. Then at Peter, as as a, as a as an entrepreneur who is deeply in his in his in his uh, in his mind, um, an independent spirit who's who's constantly challenging himself, who's reading and reading and reading and seeing opportunities. So you see that that pattern, um, you see that quality in people who have built successful companies. And I think that is, that is probably also something that you see as a headhunter on a very frequent basis with your clients. Hmm. Um, okay, so we're, we're heading now into present day, aren't we? Okay. Um, so how have the last three years been with Colcap? They've been very exciting. <laughs> so um, the last three years were um, very successful in the sense that uh, our business has grown uh, massively. We have, uh, as, as one of the first um, players in the German market, really ventured into sustainable investment in real estate. Today, uh, we own, uh, let's say, the greenest building in Germany that was built on a, on a timber hybrid uh, technology. So that is something where very early on, as early as really 2017, um, we decided, let's uh, commit early, let's commit into a non-beaten path uh, into a new technology. And that's only what you can do with uh, good backers, but also as entrepreneurs who take that decision. And um, it is interesting for us to see that as a, as a private equity-driven investor in the real estate space, that sometimes you can be the trailblazer. You can do things that institutional competitors of yours cannot do. You can do that, provided your end investors agree with your strategy, of course but then it's up to you to convince them. And that makes it super exciting. We have, we have built our team also, and we've won new colleagues to our team exactly on that premise, that they've seen us as trailblazers in, in, in that segment of uh, investment. And that made it really, really fascinating. That doesn't mean that we're not constantly facing choppy waters or we are facing difficulties, we are facing cost increases. But nevertheless, um, that's, that's our jobs as, as executives to maneuver that. So what next? Next is difficult. <laughs> that is, uh, if you had asked me that question six months ago, it would have been really easy for me. I'd be, I'd be proclaiming a success story in real estate um, and uh, on an ongoing stream of success. At the moment, it's choppy. Um, the market is um, difficult. Uh, we're seeing um, geopolitical problems, as we all know, the Ukraine war, energy problems. We're seeing, let's say, some clouds on the horizon in terms of um, the economic development. We are seeing inflation and we're seeing rising interest rates. And um, for a private equity, for a leveraged investor, that presents a problem. So um, six weeks ago, you would have seen me slightly more depressed. I would have pointed to huge volatility in the interest rates and uh, difficulties in financing. Today, I'm cautiously more positive because um, we're seeing a bit of calming on the interest rate side. We're seeing cautious revival of the real estate investment market. 
and we are seeing strong letting numbers. And that, that makes me very positive that um, in the third, fourth quarter of this year, we can go back on the growth path, uh, while at the moment we are really um, standing on the sideline and looking who will enter the playing field. And at the moment, there's hardly anyone there. So Uber, you said at this, the earlier on in the recording about you had this natural sort of curiosity and uh, someone else has sort of referenced this about sort of how you are interested in so many different sort of facets of, uh, of the market. You covered off what happens next with the business, but I'm curious what happens next on your learning journey. What, what do you next want to learn? For me at the moment, um, on, a, on a personal learning curve, it's all about ESG. So for me, it's all about um, how can we improve the way that we are doing business? Um, how can we, on the east side of ESG, what can we do? in order to really turn our entire portfolio upside down. What can we do to make buildings greener? What can we do to be more energy efficient? This is, this is really where, where I'm on a steep learning curve, where I'm reading a lot of things. And um, that is my task really for the, for the next six months. Not only my task, also the task of my colleagues and the, and the entire company. Okay. And then last question then before, before we wrap up is I wanted to ask you, something about success and I wanted to ask has your opinion on success changed over time in the early stages I would have defined success also as, as in, in terms of success in social prestige success in also your income check um, today I think success is that you're happy with what you're doing you have to define for yourself uh, what it is that, that satisfies you most, that, that really fills you, that really gives you that sense of satisfaction when you, when you return um, home at night or when you, when, you, uh, when you think about what you are doing when you, are, when you have times on the weekend. So that is really uh, where, where all of your, what I think success is happiness. Success is what you define for yourself as luck in your life. For me, that is, that is independence. For me, that is freedom. For me, that is courage. Uh, for me, that is challenge. But that question might be answered completely differently also by, by different people. But that is success. That success is really happiness. And, and so do entrepreneurs feel success? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen, thank you very, very much then for um, for sharing the story in this. I found it fascinating. And once more, it's been brilliant then to to explore our own sort of theories around um, accelerating careers once more in a, in a different context, in a different market. So thank you very, very much for, your, uh, for sharing that with me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Nick.